0: Good morning. Happy New Year. I was watching a little bit of the Rose Parade yesterday. That's one of the few things my uh, wife and I like to watch on TV during the year. And uh, they had a little pop-up while you're watching the Rose Parade. They keep hammering you with other things. uh, About uh, New Year resolution. You know, what's your New Year resolution? And they have some of the more popular ones there. And uh, most people, New Year resolution has something to do with uh, maybe uh, bettering their health, like quitting smoking or quitting drinking or I'll exercise this year. I'll watch my diet a little more. I mean, all good things to take care of your body and uh, talked about it uh a couple of weeks ago, it's a shrewd, it's a good thing that people are concerned with the future. Certainly don't want to criticize that in any ways. Now, it often comes to pass that uh, maybe you made the resolution to quit smoking, but you didn't. Maybe you made the resolution to really exercise, and you didn't. And uh, hopefully, uh, all is not in vain, but uh, you can learn from your mistake, you found what it was that you did wrong that caused you not to achieve that goal you placed before yourself, that thing you wanted, and you learn from it, and you have a better shot at it next year. And uh, here, we don't have a New Year's resolution for us, if you would turn to Mark chapter 10. But we do have an example from failure. We'll be looking at the man known as the rich young ruler, even though you will not find that title anywhere in the... Scriptures. you may find it if you have an uninspired heading over the section. That's Mark chapter 10 and verse 17. You actually have to look at the other Gospels to find all three titles. He was young, he was rich, and he was a ruler. All these things are true of the man. And yet, that thing that he came and desired and sought for, he didn't get. And hopefully, we can learn from that. So, We'll go ahead and start reading in verse 13, Mark chapter 10. We'll start verse 13. Hopefully, you'll see the connection of the previous passage with the one we look at. So, Mark chapter 10, starting at verse 13. Then they brought young children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me. And do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms and put his hands on them and blessed them. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit... Eternal life. So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But looking at them, Jesus said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last. And the last first. All right. So we have the rich young ruler. What is it that he wanted? Eternal life. Good. And uh, as we see, he turns away sad. So he doesn't get, at least not in this particular meeting with Jesus, he doesn't get what he was after. Why? Why? Why does he not get it? That's the question we want to look at and think about today. Well, the key answer is actually in the previous section that I read where people bring their children to Jesus and the disciples rebuke those people, tell them not to bring children. Jesus says, no, 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 let the little children come to me. And he, he gives them the key to enter heaven, or at least one of the keys to enter heaven. The key, at least for this passage, said, assuredly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Okay? If you don't receive the the kingdom of God as a little child, you can't enter it. If you don't receive eternal life as a little child, you can't have eternal life. Alright? What's the next question? What does it mean to receive the kingdom of God as a little child? Alright? If I had my boy here and uh, I had a cookie in my hand, I would say, Joey, here's a cookie. Joey would come happily, drop whatever he has, and take the cookie. Very, you know, happy, smiling, and walk away. Maybe he'll say thank you, but he'll just take it, okay? If I were to offer you something you wanted, I wouldn't go for a cookie. Most of you may not want a cookie, especially after talking about New Year's resolution. (laughs) But say I offered you a check, you know, a $1,000. What would you do? I had recently an experience I needed something uh, I was uh, my, my kids were getting bigger. you know how that goes, and I wanted to get the bigger beds for them and uh, because my house isn't that big, I really wanted to get uh, what do you call those a uh, stackable uh, bunk beds. what bunk beds. bunk beds, yeah, bunk beds and you know I looked around a little bit, and you know buying bunk beds can be kind of expensive. But I was thinking, well, maybe somebody has an old bunk bed they 'll give away, and I was you know asking around and. Charlie found out I was asking around, and he told somebody else I was asking around, someone who happened to have it. And that person said, oh, yeah, I have, you know, bank beds. I'll bring them to you. And, uh, you know, so that person very kindly brought him to my house. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, boy, such a nice thing. You know, I'll give him something. Okay, I, I tried to actually give him a check for, for a small amount of money, not as much as I would have to go to spend a new pair. And he said, no, you don't understand. It's a gift. It's a gift. And that is how God offers eternal life. It's a gift. We say the wages, of sin, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. Because it's a gift, you can't pay for it. You can't earn it. And as people, unfortunately, we often try to do exactly that. We try to, in some way, uh, pay for it. My daughter asked me uh, about a week ago, I think we were driving back from L.A., are there more people going to heaven or to hell? Are there more people going to heaven or are there more people going to hell? And I thought about it a little bit. And I said, well, the Bible says, you know, wide is the road that leads to destruction. And many there are that go that way. But narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. And there are few who go that way. So really, the Bible's answer is that, well, there's more people in hell. There's many. There's few people in heaven. There's less. The question is why. If God offers eternal life as a free gift, why are there more people in hell than in heaven? And uh, as I was thinking about it, I could think of three reasons why people may not go to heaven. Number one, it's possible that they haven't heard It's possible that they don't know. When Jesus talked to the Samaritan uh, woman, he said this. He said, If you knew the gift of God and and who it was who said to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Okay, If you knew. She didn't know yet at that point. Of course, it was Jesus' job to reveal it to her. And he was. He was revealing it to her and revealed it to the whole village. And many came to know him. But they didn't know until he came and told them. Some people don't go to heaven because they don't know God is offering the gift of eternal life. And that, by the way, is the great commission. We've been charged to go and tell people that God is offering the gift of eternal life. And I hope you're as convicted by that as I am. It's our job. We should be telling people about it. We should make sure within our power that no one that we know goes to hell because they haven't heard that God is offering Eternal life as a free gift, as a free gift. Second reason I could think of, and that has to do more with my background, I was raised in a kibbutz, uh, and uh, I was taught very little about about God, but I, the little bit I was told is that God wasn't real. I was told that uh, uh, the rich people invented God to uh, make the poor people happy while poor. That's the maxim maximum of, uh, of uh, I think it was Lenin or communism, basically uh, an attack against religion. So I I was raised, you could say there's ignorance there too, I was ignorant, but I just wasn't interested. I didn't believe there was any uh, heaven or hell. I believed everything that mattered is what was in this life. And so a lot of people, you might try to share with them, and they say, well, we're not interested, we don't believe there is a heaven, or we don't think it's as important as what I can have and I can enjoy here. Second. Third reason is the one we have in this passage. There's some people they've they've heard perhaps they've uh, they believe this rich young ruler believed he said, "What must I do that I may inherit eternal life he believed inherit life, eternal life was available it was important he sought it okay so the third reason is we go about it the wrong way exactly as Jesus says we don't receive it as a little child instead we try to earn it in some way the first Instance of the, of the Bible, where we see this happening is with Cain. We see Abel and Cain go before God, and Abel came the way God said. He brought an offering, he brought an animal. He killed the animal, and he brought the dead animal to God. Okay, Cain was thinking, boy, you know, I I gotta be able to do better than this one, a dead animal. Okay, I grew some nice looking vegetables. And I'll bring those, and I'll offer them to God. Okay, he was in some way trying to bring what he did, instead of really what God has provided in this dead animal, which really was a prefigurement of Christ. God has provided Christ. He is our gift. He is the way to eternal life. Instead, I try to bring some good offering that I did. That's what, that's what keeps the rest of the population out of heaven. Okay. I was thinking about it. And this, by the way, so it started with Cain. But you can see it happening throughout the Bible. People trying to bring their good works to God, in some way earning heaven, in some way doing something to deserve heaven. And by the way, all world religions are based on this. All world religions will tell you there's something you can do that will somehow get you into heaven. There's a way that you can earn it. So I was thinking uh, about what the Bible says about the impossibility of me doing anything to earn heaven. Okay, There is no way that I can come to God and offer something that God will as a result say, boy, this is so wonderful, why don't you come and enter into heaven? Okay, those three main reasons I, I could think of. Number one, and if you would turn with me to First Corinthians, probably the most important reason, but there's two others to follow that one. First Corinthians in chapter 1. I'll skip around a little bit I'll start in verse 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Then go down to verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. By the way, what is this message? We we heard it a couple of times in verse 18 and then verse 20. What is the message by which people are saved? Right. Message of the cross. The gospel. Simply the message that God loved us so much that He sent Jesus into this world and as we were worshiping Him this morning, Jesus was crucified, nailed on the cross, and while he was nailed on the cross, he paid the penalty that we deserved for our sins. The entire world, the weight of the entire world's sins was put upon Jesus, and there he paid for that in full. He died, he was buried, and then he rose from the dead to demonstrate his power over sin and death, that he really accomplished our salvation. And it says in this passage that when you believe that, you are saved. Okay, so we talked... In one place, Jesus talks about receiving the kingdom of God as a little child. Here he talks about believing that gospel message. If you believe that gospel message, the Bible says you are saved. Okay, but uh, let me continue to verse 26. Actually, verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. And this is the key, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. The reason... You cannot offer something to God which on that basis you can enter heaven is that salvation is designed to reveal the glory of God, not your glory, which is good because you don't have any. (laughs) Basically, salvation, my salvation doesn't show how good I am. It shows how good God is and it was designed for that purpose. In fact, creation was designed for that purpose. God created the world to reveal his glory. So for me to think, well, I'll get to heaven somehow by something I achieved and be honored for and be glorified for is really me trying to usurp the throne of God in heaven. It's continuing that same sin of Adam and Eve when they reached to take of that fruit, believing that they will become like gods themselves. So for me to try to enter into heaven by my good works is really continuing with that sin of trying to glorify myself instead of trying to glorify God. That's not possible. You can't enter heaven like that. The second reason, second reason of why we cannot enter, uh, heaven by good works, doing something good. I mean, this, this is good enough, but there's two other reasons I thought of. Second one was this. We recently studied in Romans, uh, and, uh, we kind of finished, wrapped up the section of the gospel, the message of how we are saved by this uh, really hymn of worship that Paul bursts into at the very end of it. I'll read from Romans 11, uh, starting at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become His counselor or who has first given to Him and it shall be repaid to Him. For of Him and through Him And to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. The key was in verse 35, if you are there. Or who has first given to him, and it shall be... It's asking the question, who has first given something to God? Meaning, at the beginning of your relationship with God, you start by giving something to God, and as a result, God says, Boy, this is wonderful. I'd like to reward this person for giving it to to me. Somehow he paid. The problem with that is it says this, in 1 Corinthians four seven, For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have which you have not received? Okay, now if you indeed received it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? The point is, everything I have, I received from God. It's not possible for me to offer anything to God which He hasn't already given to me. So I cannot earn anything. There's nothing I can give to God that will actually earn anything be favor with God because I'm just giving him something he already given to me. Okay, There is nothing I can offer to God except what he already given to me. And unfortunately, by the time I try to offer it to him, it's already been corrupted by my sin. So I, I can't even try to please him with that. But there's nothing I can offer to God. The third reason of why I can't be saved by some good works that I, I do, and I know I'm going overboard with it, but uh, maybe you'll appreciate this This more In in Romans chapter 4, we cover this also. It says, Therefore it is of faith, talking about salvation, therefore salvation is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. If there was some good work that was required for me to get to heaven, if God expected a certain standard of performance, not everyone will make it into heaven. Only those who could achieve it, only those who kept certain laws, which means not everybody will be welcome into heaven. Well, that's not the case. God wants everyone into heaven. He's opened the door wide enough for everybody to enter in. And so, He requires nothing. He requires nothing. But if, if, if we had to do something to get us into heaven, we would thereby limit everybody else who couldn't do that same thing. And that's not God, is he is not, he is not willing that any should perish. Okay, he wants all to come to repentance and to have life. Alright, back to our passage in Mark. Mark chapter 10. Now let's take a look at this man that we call the rich young ruler. Alright, first we observe that this is a guy that's really trying, okay. Uh, he he comes running after Jesus, okay. He seems on the right track. He kneels down before Jesus. All right, excellent. He gives Jesus a good title, good teacher, okay. He's calling Jesus good. He's willing to accept him as a teacher, someone who will show him the way to heaven. Uh, and he asks, you know, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And and here's the problem: what shall I do? Okay, He's saying, what do I need to do in some way to deserve to be considered a rightful heir of heaven? I want to do something good that God will look at me and say, this is a good guy. I want to give heaven to him. So, he's a really good guy. He's trying really hard. There's just one problem. He is not receiving the kingdom of God as a little child. He's trying to do it by his own efforts. Now, we look at Jesus' response here. It kind of seems like Jesus is harsh, right? Uh, at the end, the man walks away sad. Why somebody who is trying so hard, Lord? You know, Why are you turning him away in, in this manner? Well, the problem is, as long as this man thinks he can do it on his own, he's not going to receive the kingdom of God, right? Because you have to receive it as a little child. You have to give up on thinking that there's something you can do to earn heaven. And that's why Jesus is taking this man through these steps. Okay, the first step... Jesus says, Why do you call me good? There is no one good but one. That is God. People make all kinds of things out of this verse. Some people say that Jesus wanted the man to recognize that he was God. and It's possible. It certainly is true that Jesus was God. Some heretics will attack it and say that Jesus is saying he is not God here, which of course is not true. But really the point that Jesus is after is is trying to make this man think about being good. This man is calling Jesus good. This man was probably thinking that he was a pretty good guy. Proverbs says this. Says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. But a faithful man who can find. People think they're basically good. We just need a little bit of help. You know, Jesus just shows the way. You know, I'm basically a good guy. I know I'm not perfect. And there's probably one little thing I'm missing. Just show me what that little thing is and I'll do it so I can be in heaven. Okay? We start on wrong premises when we think we're standing before God as basically good people that just need to do something small. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's trying to disabuse him of that notion. Look, you're not good. There's only one good and that is God. Okay? Uh, If you would turn with me uh, briefly to Romans chapter 3. we can see a true standing before God. A true standing before God, uh, starting at verse nine, Romans 3, verse 9. What then are we better than they? No, not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understand. There is none who seeks after God. They have all gone out of the way. They are, have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb with their tongues. They have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Distraction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So this is just a quick summary of of how we are before God. Even this guy that looks like he's a good guy is really after self-worship. He's wondering, what can I do to be so good that God would be happy to have me in heaven with him? Okay, This man is not even really seeking God. He's He's still seeking himself. And that's what the passage says. Look, there's nobody that's even seeking after God. There's no one who fears God. There's no one that does anything good. This is God's frank look upon mankind. Not our thoughts of ourselves. We would each proclaim our own goodness. God sees through. Okay. Now, because we're not good, there is no way I can do something to inherit, where, where do I start? If this is where I stand, what good did, should I do to inherit eternal life? I'm in such a negative, there's no way I'm ever going to make it into the positive. Okay. So, realizing we're not good helps us. That's a good starting point. Unfortunately, this man was thinking he was good. And so, Jesus is trying to help him see the truth about himself. Uh, second thing Jesus does, and I'm sure there was a break there, you know, Jesus said, why do you call me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Probably gave a chance for the man to, for that to sink in. But, uh, doesn't seem to really move the guy, so Jesus continues here. He says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. So, next thing Jesus does is he gives him a list of commandments. Why? Is Jesus saying, go and keep this one, and this one, and this one, and then you'll enter eternal life? Well, Jesus is trying to wake him up to the reality about himself. God is very clear about the purpose of the law. He didn't give us the law so that we will, as basically good people, know a few good things to do that will get us into heaven. He gave us the law to show us that we're basically bad people who will never, ever make it on our own. And the summary is in the next verses in Romans. You notice I judiciously stopped at verse 18. If we continue to verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. It's very clear. You don't get to heaven by law-keeping. Nobody will be justified before God by keeping the law because we're basically bad people who fail miserably at every law we try to keep. So God gave us the law to really show us the truth about ourselves. And, uh, you know, Charlie and others remember we, we used to do it at the zucchini festival. We would, uh, put a big sign above our booth, say, are you good enough to, to go to heaven? And we had some takers, some people who said, "All right, I want to find out if I'm good enough. And of course, most people thought they were. I can't remember if we started with a question of, well, do you think you are? And I think most people, probably 80, 90% said, yeah, yeah, I'm a pretty good guy. I don't do this, I don't do that. And uh, then we would hit them with the law. Now, uh, when Jesus does it with this person, uh, it doesn't, he doesn't get very far. It says, uh, the man answered him, and said, teacher, all these things I have kept for my youth. So this guy, in spite of Jesus telling, giving him the law, he said, oh yeah, I've been keeping that since my youth. In, in a Jewish tradition, uh, you only become accountable after your bar mitzvah, when you're 13. Literally, bar mitzvah becomes son of the law. So up to the age 13, you can sin as much as you want. Once you become 13, you have to be good from that point on. Okay, so that's probably what I mean. All these things I've kept for my youth. You know, since my bar mitzvah and I've become obligated to keep these laws, I've been carefully keeping these laws. Now, what we would do in a case like this is we would start going very carefully through the law. Well, have you thought about it? Do not lie. Have you ever told a lie? You know, how about the little white one? Okay, how about still? Have you ever stolen anything? You know, maybe walked away from someone with a pencil that wasn't yours. I mean, there's, there's many, many ways that, that we break the law. Uh, Jesus doesn't do it. He, he has a more effective way to get through to this guy. He, that's, that's really what he says here next. Uh, and, and I want us to notice, it says Jesus looking at him loved him. So Jesus is saying it out of love. He's trying to help the guy. Okay, The guy is never going to make it to heaven as long as he thinks he's good enough and there's something he can do to get there. So Jesus is doing it out of love, even though the man is walking away sad afterward. Jesus says, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. It's interesting, I I had a chance to share this with my dad about a week ago. I was down in LA for uh, Christmas and my dad is an unbeliever and uh, typically hostile to the gospel, but occasionally I have a chance to talk to him in this case, I mentioned I'm, I'm, I'll be preaching the following week at church, and so he wanted to know what about. They said, "Well, this man that came to Jesus and asked this, and Jesus said this." And you know, my dad was willing to listen up to this point. And uh, when when Jesus says this to this man, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. My my dad became very indignant. He was saying, "What well, Jesus is asking this man is very unreasonable." And, uh, it says the truth about us because we think we can be good enough somehow and make it into heaven. And Jesus is setting the bar so high, we're like, Hey, this is not fair. I don't have a chance at this. Well, it's true. You don't. And that's what Jesus is trying to show here to the man. Now, just, just to point out that this is not an unreasonable command that Jesus is giving us. Okay. First of all, it's consistent with the law. Okay. The law says you shall love your neighbor as who? So it shouldn't matter whether I have the money or my neighbor has it, right? Right? If I love my neighbor as myself, why should I keep the money? Maybe I could spread it evenly. That's fine too. Okay? But it it shouldn't be any worse for my neighbor to have it than, than for me to have it. Okay? You shall love the Lord your God how? With all your heart. Supremely above all things. Meaning, I should be willing to take up the cross and what Jesus means is give up your life. Give up your own life and follow me. Do what I want you to do. We should be willing to live a life of that for God. That's what the law requires. It's nothing new. Jesus just just put it in a neat package for this guy because that's what he needed. Okay? So it is the law. Uh, Second, it's not unreasonable because it is the standard of God's goodness. And really, all, all the law is, the law describes to us, in some measure, the standard of God's goodness. How do we know that this is the goodness of God? Well, because God did it himself. Okay, Jesus gave up far more than this man ever could give up by giving the glories of heaven, the throne of his Father, and coming to earth to be born in a manger and walk the dusty streets of Galilee, interacting with people like you and me, sinners. Okay, And at the end of it all, going on the cross and paying for the sins of mankind, which we were just trying to get into this morning in our worship and we couldn't. It was just too much to really enter into what Jesus was willing. So Jesus is not even asking this man to do as much as he was willing to do. Okay, so this is the goodness of God that this man wanted, right? He said, what must I do that I might be deserving, inherit eternal life? Well, Jesus is telling him, well, if you can do this, you will be deserving. But he knew the man could not do it. He knew the man could not do it. And the man walks away sad. It's actually a good sign. Okay, he didn't walk away angry. He wasn't arguing with Jesus about whether this was a standard set too high or not. He was beginning to see himself. It was the bad news was beginning to penetrate into this guy. Boy, I'm not quite the good guy I thought I was. Boy, I guess I'm not making it into heaven, huh? Okay, so it's good because as you start understanding the bad news, you become receptive to the good news. And the good news is that God is offering it freely as a gift to anybody who wants it. But you have to first be willing to let go of thinking you can do it on your own. Okay, let's uh, look uh, briefly at... At the follow-up discussion Jesus has with his disciples, if, uh, if you uh, turn to Romans like I did, you'll have to turn back to look. I'm sorry, Mark. But the Gospel of Mark, we made it as far as verse 23 now. It says, Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. What is Jesus doing here? Well, Jesus, is uh, training his disciples. That's why they were following Jesus for. Jesus was only going to be here for three years doing this work, this kind of work, meeting this kind of people and helping them see their need to be saved. And these are the guys who will have to pick up the pieces. When Jesus is gone, they'll have to do it on their own. So Jesus is really turning to them and trying to help them see what this guy was going through. The fact that you had to bring this guy to nothing before this guy would be able to enter eternal life. It's a hard work to bring people to the point where they realize there's nothing they can do to save themselves. Okay, So Jesus is doing training work for the disciples. How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Why is it so hard for a rich man? Well, we know from what follows later on, it's impossible for any of us to enter on our own into the kingdom of God. Uh, A rich person is not a bigger sinner than the rest of us. Okay. The problem is, it's not that they have riches, it's that they trust in them. We read this verse, I believe, last week, or sorry, two weeks ago. This was a exhortation of Paul to Timothy. He said, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So wealth tends to make us proud, and it tends to make us trust in it and think there's something we can do. A poor person often comes to the end of himself and realizes there's nothing he can do. A rich person, well, you know, he can always pull out another check out of his pocket and solve the problem. So he thinks that he can fix things himself. A rich person is more likely to think that, you know, there's something good I can do. Okay, I I can do lots of stuff. So really the problem isn't that the rich man is a bigger sinner. Rich people have a harder time realizing that there's nothing they can do to enter internal life. And And that's where the illustration of the camel comes from. You basically have to give up, take off this idea of yourself being somehow good enough or being able to somehow do something good enough to make it into, into eternal life. You have to take it all off and realize you're nothing. I'm nothing, but God, praise His name, is giving it to me as a free gift. You have to take it all off. To now, <clears throat> we get to the next section here and Peter says, as Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you It's interesting, it says Peter began to say it. He never got to finish what he was saying. And that's the graciousness of Jesus. You know, he keeps us from sometimes saying things we shouldn't say. But there was something enough in what Peter said that Jesus felt is instructive and he was going to use it. Uh, So Peter, what is Peter referring to? What shall we have? Well, when Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell everything that he has, Jesus promised him treasure. It says, uh, and you will have treasure in heaven. So this is verse 21. Go and sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. So Jesus promises the man treasure. Now, we know rewards isn't something that, we know salvation isn't something that comes to us by, as a result of something we do or earn. But rewards are, God wants to give things, okay? He delights to give. And he would, he would have been happy to give to the rich young ruler treasure in heaven. It's not just to the rich young ruler. It's for everyone. Okay, But Peter is concerned because he just heard about the rich young ruler. Well, this man was going to give a lot of riches. So he was going to get treasure. Well, I didn't have maybe maybe as many riches to give up. What will I get? He's concerned. And it's not bad. In fact, God says we're not shrewd when we don't think about eternity and the rewards of heaven. So it's not bad what Peter is thinking about. But we see here two two main things that I, I want us to capture. Number one, even though we don't get to heaven by giving up you know going and selling what we have uh, and giving to the poor and following Jesus, that's not how you get to heaven it is the real experience of those that are saved peter was able to say lord we have left all and followed you whatever it was that he left he gave up there was a sacrifice involved in peter's life there is a sacrifice in the christian life we do give up things for god to follow him okay uh It's encouraging to me because it's a reality of the salvation. God doesn't just, and God could, simply impute to us righteousness, which is what the Bible says that happens, and I don't get it until I get to heaven. You know, in heaven, well, I I have it imputed to me now, but I don't get to experience until I get to heaven. Well, God did more than that. He actually gave us the power to overcome sin in our life. He gave us the power to live the life that pleases Him. Uh just so we don't get confused with with that with the order of things we have it very clear for us in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 8 through 10 for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself it is the gift of God not of works lest anyone should boast for we, ha- we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them so while salvation is a gift, I can't do anything to earn it. God give it freely to me. It results in a change of life. It results in me now actually walking in a way that pleases Him. I get to enjoy practical righteousness in my life. It's a wonderful thing. Praise God. That we are, we're we're delivered. We have now the power to live a life that pleases God. The second thing we see here, so that's the first thing, is that nobody who gives up anything for the sake of God will regret it. Okay? And that's what Jesus assures Peter in verses 29 through 30. Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the Gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this, in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. I may give up something in my life. I haven't had too many experiences of of giving up all things, but uh, I did struggle after I graduated from school. I I went to graduate school at Berkeley. Um, I had more or less a job offer coming straight out of school. The problem is it was in Silicon Valley, and at the time I lived in San Leandro I think the church was meeting also San Leandro at the time or maybe Hayward and uh Silicon Valley was a, would have been a very long commute for me and so I felt that's not God's will God doesn't want me to be driving an hour each way uh to get to work that's 2 hours out of each day that I'm losing as a potential service for the Lord now that was what the Lord laid on my heart I you know uh, the Lord may have different things he wants people to give up in my case it was giving up this job this job that would have been perfect for me, based on my education, and instead I had to go looking for another job, and it was right around the last major recession. I don't know if you remember 2002, 2001, and uh, you know I had a really hard time finding a job, and yet I, I I had to stay there, waiting on the Lord to provide. It was in a sense uh, giving up something that was in my hand, and instead trusting the Lord to fill it. And the Lord did uh, six months later. I had a job, and that job led to another job, the job I am now. And interestingly, just a month ago, that a contact from that company that offered me a job before called and basically said, hey, we're offering, you know, we're hiring for these kinds of positions. Why don't you come interview? And I thought, well, that sounds good. But actually, at this time, I, I moved to Fremont, so now Silicon Valley is not as far. Uh, so I was willing to consider it, and so I went to be interviewed. And uh, the job is still attractive from a worldly point of view. It would be a better career. you know. It would be more money, uh, more prestige somehow in the world. But after going to the interview, I was you know, scratching my head and like, I'm not sure I want this job. Yes, it has more in the way the world has to offer, but I would suffer, my real quality of life will suffer. It's still a job that demands a lot of hours, uh, has more competition. The job I have right now in many ways is very cushy. It may not pay as well, but it really gives me the time I, I need to do other things. And so, God really provided. And I waited on the Lord; and the Lord provided. He was faithful, uh, and that's what what God promises here. Now, the, we can note this about God's promises: first, no one will miss out on it. He's very clear. Okay, it's not like you know other people give up things for the sake of God, but God provides for them. But somehow He forgot you, and you'll give up something and. God won't meet your needs. He, he, says, he says very clearly, no one. Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left anything for me that I'm not going to meet his needs. Okay, second, uh, he covers all different kinds of needs. It's not just material needs, it's relational. Uh, some of you may know uh, my grandfather. Uh, and many of you experience, have experienced it as when you came to Christ, some of your friends and family didn't care for that. And you lost relationships as a result. And uh, that happened to me as well. Well, God meets it with relationships. <laughs> okay, uh, We have, uh, in case you didn't notice, we have on the back uh, table a list for people who want to be part of this uh, Home Potluck Fellowship. And uh, there's so many people here, we have to divide them into different houses and try to do some sort of rotation. There's more people than I can handle that God has given me to have a relationship with me. As brothers and sisters in Christ, Um, God God provides in all areas. Number three, I notice He says it's a hundredfold. God doesn't just recompense one for one. Okay, you gave me this, I'll give you that. You know, for what we're willing to give up for Him, He he rewards us a hundredfold. And uh, the last one is it's eternal. It says, uh, "We shall not receive a hundredfold." Uh, in this generation and in the age to come, eternal life. This is really just the beginning. We just get to kind of taste the tip of the iceberg of what God has prepared for us. It says this in, uh, John, 1st John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. We are now the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. To be like Christ. To see him face to face. What will that be like? So, the point is, you know, yes, yes there is a reality in the Christian life where Jesus is asking us to, to live out for God and to love others as ourselves. But for every loss we suffer, there's, there's, there's great recompense. If this rich young ruler happened to have gotten saved, and followed Jesus' advice and said, sold everything he had and followed Jesus, he wouldn't have regretted it. Okay, He would have been a very happy man. as And uh, we certainly lose nothing by following him. Now, there is this last verse here. Uh, Jesus said, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Where are you in this verse? There are many who are first that will be last. The danger is of being rich, or thinking there is something you have that you can offer to God. And as a result, you miss out on God's true blessing. Whereas if you realize, boy, I am nothing, but here God is giving me eternal life, I'll accept it. You'll be first, meaning you'll enjoy the fullness of God's blessing. Let me read, if I, if I may, a song uh, that's actually... Uh, couple of men sang here a few uh, weeks ago. The uh, name of the song is "Who Am, Who Am I?" by uh, Casting Crowns. I think Paul, you were singing that, and, and Dave was singing it, just to show you it's not just old hymns that have good words in them. It can actually be recent, more recent song. And uh, this actually came. This band came out of, uh, of really a youth ministry, where. Uh, uh, the, I guess the youth leader was, was trying to get people to sing as getting them involved in Christian, uh, in the Christian life or in Christian work. So it has really good words. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright and morning star would choose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading, here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still, you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling. And you've told me who I am. I am yours. I am yours. That's who we are. We are His. That's the only value we will ever have. There's no value we can have in ourselves, but He gives us the greatest value in the universe. We can belong to Him. Let's pray. Lord, it's true what uh, this song says. Who am I? Lord, there is nothing in me, there is nothing in any of us that can have a claim for glory. And yet you are the one who loves the unlovable and have mercy upon us who have sinned and rebelled against you and have offered us at the infinite cost to yourself eternal life that we might be with you indeed in heaven forever being in the image made like the image of your son and being able to see you face to face. Lord, we would be as those that would receive the kingdom of God as little children And simply take it and say thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen.